Um, I am now recording, and uh, so I want to say welcome to the um, first episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, uh, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I am your host, Guru Nishan. Um, I was inspired to start this podcast because uh, I was born and raised in uh, the 3HO community in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And although in my teenage years, I began to migrate away from uh, the lifestyle and the uh, religious aspects of our community, I never migrated away from the people and the people have always remained to the heart. And I've traveled around and lived in communities all around the world. And um, this community matters to me and the people of our community matter to me. And so the stories of our community matter and um, breaking the silence of our community matters to me. So I want to share the intentions that I have for this podcast, and I'll share them at the beginning of every podcast. Um, number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage actively listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number seven, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and gaslight uh, and light washing mentality. Number eight, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number nine, to honor every body that has come through our community, named and unnamed. Number 10, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other support as needed, draw your own conclusions and, be, and become critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and support you. So our first guest today and our first episode, um, I wanna welcome <clears throat> uh, Guru Beer Singh and Guru Sirikar. Um, uh, they will tell their story, and um, they first met at the Sonoma State University, where they earned their bachelor's degree in 1972 and 1973. They received their names from Yogi Bhajan in the Honolulu Ashram in 1974 and married in 1975. They lived in Los Angeles and in Northern California before graduating, quote, 
graduating 3HO in 1991. They have two children and four grandchildren and are currently retired. So I want to welcome you to um, the first episode of our podcast. And I want to first of all just say I got in contact and connected with you when I heard your story on the Zoom call. And um, being a child of the Dharma, hearing your, your call, hearing your story um, kind of had a memory or a ripple effect that happened to me where it was like, whoa, that was a familiar story. I'd never really, quote, heard the details but I knew it had kind of like permeated the airwaves of our community in the 80s. So for me, it was quite an epiphany and that's why you being willing to share your story, even though I know it was a long time ago and you, you left a long time ago, um, I'm really happy for it. Why is it important to you that, that this story is told right now? Well, first I want to uh, thank you. Um, your intentions are just fantastic. And uh, of course, it all leads to self-empowerment. And wh while you're reading all of this and putting together uh, podcasts in, in this format, and the, I'm sitting here going, boy, wouldn't this have been nice back in 1992, <laughs> uh, the, the support. The reason this is important, uh, we've been asked to before to tell our story. Um, yes, it was a long time ago, but we do remember in, in when we did live on Proust Road that um, so many different times, you know, in the ashram, everybody loved everybody in the community. We, we, we you know, we worshiped together, we did uh, our sadhanas together, we went to class together, we washed each other's feet going into the Gurdwara, and we served each other prashad. And then all of a sudden we would be told, oh gee, that person betrayed me. Um, they're no longer uh, welcome and uh, they're gone. And whatever you do, if they show up, don't let them in the door. Uh, and then nobody ever knows what ever happened to those people. We just never guessed that that would come to be our term, our turn as well. <laughs> so, We've had several people go, what, what happened? Where did you just disappeared off the face of the earth? No, we didn't. And so that's why we're sharing our story. No, there's a story to be told, right? <laughs> so thank you. I'm really, I'm really happy you're here, here to share. Um, as a part of every episode, I've asked um, every guest to share um, a song that represents it's who they are. So I'm just going to do this little intro into, into the song that represents their story. And I'm going to let uh, Guru Beer Singh get right into their story of <clears throat> their time in 3HO and their <clears throat> abrupt departure. Thank you for that. Uh, I want you to go right on into it. <laughs> okay. So as, um, as you mentioned, you know, we, we started an awful long time ago um, in the, into 3HO and actually uh, before 3HO in the world of Yogi Bhajan and Kundalini Yoga in, in ashram life. Um, so 
here's our story of, of what I've, we've called the name graduation. Um, here's the graduation story. So April 30th, 1992, I was arrested, handcuffed, transported to jail. My arrest was on the evening news on television, front page of the morning newspaper. Uh, as a result, um, I lost my business. My wife lost her job. Our children were bullied in school and we lost our house. After 18 years of being a beloved son and daughter of the Siri Singh Saab, overnight we were exiled from the world of Yogi Bhajan. And, and we were just exiled from that entire world. Um, that's the short version. So here, here's a little more detail into that. On Proust Road, we went down for uh, one of the springtime celebrations. It, it was a great time. And, and Can you date this? Can you let us know what time period? And can you also kind of like give us a little history of joining 3HO in 1970, whatever? Okay, <laughs> I can do a little, okay, so joining 3HO. Well, here's what you gotta know about before 3HO in our life here in America. Uh, there were no computers smaller than a refrigerator, and they certainly were not privately owned. There were no cell phones. We had public pay phones scattered throughout the community and a landline at residence and work. There was no internet, no Google, no Facebook, no Twitter. Social media was a 17-inch to 21-inch uh, television. We had five channels, a newspaper, and radio. And the following was broadcast on television evening news uh, radio stations. On November 22nd, 1963, the assassination came into our living room of John F. Kennedy, the 35th president. April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. We watched this on the evening news. April, June 5th, 1968, Robert F. Kennedy, the pres uh, president's brother was assassinated. We watched that in our homes on television. The Vietnam War was going on. Um, the draft was sent out. Uh, people in my generation were drafted. There were 58,220 USA casualties, mostly my age. The peak year was 1968 with 17,000 casualties, then up to 1,000 body bags a week were returning to the United States. On May 4th, 1970, Kent State massacre at the University of Kent State, uh, the National Guard, the Ohio National Guard shot nine students, killing four. Coast to coast, there was a major, major nationwide disconnect between parents, generation, and young adults. I mean, the disconnect was just unbelievable. So a yoga ashram, it felt like an oasis. Young adults, close in age, no drugs, alcohol, or unmarried sex, and mandatory long hair. Well, my hair was already long. Wholesome, healthy, organic, lacto-vegetarian lifestyle. Everyone was involved in learning and teaching yoga. So this just felt like an oasis, mo moving in, into uh, ashram life. Um, I can remember going through that door and meeting people and having a uh, the, the community, it, it was just wonderful to have escaped and gotten out of all of that uh, turmoil. Mm -hmm. And of course, everything just got built from there. But like I said, we were all doing yoga together and making yogurt together. And 
and granola. So that's that's what led up to really uh, going in, getting involved and in, in going and moving into a yoga ashram was kind of walking out of the 60s, walking out of the turmoil that was on coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, Very relevant for today. So I want to thank you for, for contacting. Oh, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of music and songs from back then. That's one of the ways our generation communicated was, uh, was through yeah. music. Yeah. And then we keep going. And then at the university, we would take yoga and meditation classes. We would do Zen, Raja Yoga, all different types of things and experiences. And that was also the introduction to finding peace within. We started connecting with that inner self in a way that brought about much more of equilibrium and balance in our lives when we were seeing all this discourse around us. So it was really beautiful. So moving into a ashram felt like an extension of that. It also felt like we were going to then be able to go out and share these types of tools to find a place that was relevant and peaceful and self-empowering. Um, that, that's what, at least for me, that's what spoke, spoke to me. So you're, so you're living in the Hawaii ashram for how, what year was that? No, 74 to 81. 81, then you end up in LA? Correct. Then okay, we ended then up in LA. LA. And then like, give us the context. So then what happened before this whole situation and who you watch people, as you talked about, watch people kind of get ostracized and kind of get shunned. And then you don't know who they are and where they're at. And like you're saying, there's no internet. So there's no way to sure. find out what's happening. But then what happened? What was the story of what was happening with you before whatever happened? Well, um, my, my life on Proust Road, I, I was a, a commercial industrial electrician. So I worked outside of our uh, community and community is a nice word, but I, I worked outside of the community. So my involvement really was uh, uh, going to once a week yoga class that was taught by Yogi Bhajan and going to Gurdwara on Sunday, and then uh, participating in whatever, when it was our, our little zone's turn to make prashad, or our little zone's turn to, you know, to, uh, to wash the feet as people came into Gurdwara. So, like I said, I, I didn't work on Proust Road or in any of the, of the businesses. I, I had a, I worked up 40 hours a week. I was out in the, the community. And Laurent uh, Gerseri was just raising the kids. Well, I was really involved in the community on a daily basis. I taught yoga down at Guru Ram Das Ashram every day at 10, most of the time. Of course, I did sadhana in the morning, brought my children to sadhana, um, Gurdwara afterwards. Got home in time to make breakfast, get the children off to school, go back down and teach yoga class, read your bonnies every day. That takes up a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, do seva, put together some of the group, the um, programs that 3HO was putting together, including Oriental Beauty Secrets, um, prenatal and postnatal um, programs. I was working on that with, in collaboration with one other woman. And we were really involved. So unlike my husband, I wasn't working outside except for occasionally. 
um, I was pretty much immersed in the community. And even in the evenings, then there would be the lectures that Yogi Bhajan would give. We would attend those. Or there would be um, the evening down at the Gurdwara. It pretty much was an um, immersed in the day-to-day lifestyle. And we were Amritdhari Sikhs. We were um, ministers. Once ministerial came uh, along, um, there was a lot that we were participating in in a different way. Yeah, our our time in Hawaii was always about the yoga and uh, teaching yoga. That that really uh, first you know eight years before that uh, time came up. Um, so then, what happened? What what led up to this arrest situation? Uh, Give us that. So um, in April of um, 1992, we were in Los Angeles. And uh, I, I, I saw uh, Suri Singh Saab talking uh, Kirpal Singh. And uh, later Kirpal asked me if I helped him. And he was reorganizing a business that he was running for Yogi Bhajan. But uh, he was in overhead, asked me if I could just help him out and for uh, about a week max. And um, unbeknownst to me, that was the last time that would be the last time that uh, I would ever have a conversation with my spiritual teacher of 18 years. And unknowns at the time, um, yeah, I just had, had no clue, really had no idea. Everybody was in a good mood and in spirits in Los Angeles. And uh, so when we returned to Northern California, um, on about the, it was either the third or the fourth day after we returned, my office, and, and Gursuri was in the office, and uh, we, uh, I said, pop in at, at my, you know, the office door and pop back out, pop in and look, and pack, what's going on? Yeah, well, then all of a sudden, my office filled with detectives. And uh, the assistant district attorney, or ADA, the assistant district attorney comes in, and all these detectives, and they make sure that my wire separated. They make sure that we're cornered so that we can't run out the door, <laughs> and we just have no clue at all what's going on. And uh, I. Uh, asked questions by the ADA that none of this is making sense to me. None of it. And the funny thing is, is while in the office, the office telephone rang, and of course uh, they're not letting me pick up the phone or move. And the answering machine picks it up, and it's Kirpal Singh, and from Angeles calling, and uh, he he's he's leaving quite interesting message while five detectives and the assistant district are intently listening to the messages he's leaving. And of course, they plugged the answering machine and took it with them. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I asked her if I need an attorney because I just can't figure out where the questioning is going. It's getting more intense, more intense. I don't have a clue. So the long story short is I, I went to my uh, corporate attorneys and I just I walked in and he 
just looked at my face and he goes, oh my God, what's going on? I told him, I don't know. And he goes, well, are you, I told him the little bit I did know. I got five detectives and an ADA in the office. Quit getting there. Yeah. And uh, he goes, are you being arrested? And I go, I, <laughs> I don't know, but they're right behind me. And he got on the phone and called a criminal attorney. The detectives walked in his office and said, yes, we're, he's under arrest. And they handcuffed me. And they talked to on the phone to a man who was going to become my attorney. And they uh, took me to jail. So that's how that started. Um, that night on the local news, breaking news on television is my case. This man's arrested and I forget what they said I was arrested for because I didn't know what I was arrested for. She didn't know what I was arrested for. We're only hearing from the newspapers and the television. That's how we're hearing. In the morning, uh, my picture's on the front page uh, and uh, we've got to read the story to try to get an idea or a glimpse we still don't know what's going on. All we know is uh, I, had, I got handcuffed and hauled away. Um, that kind of messed things up a little bit. My business closed. My wife's employer uh, terminated her business and our kids were bullied in school. So it just kind of went downhill really fast. And I started, uh, I, I called my spiritual teacher who's always told personally on, at 1620 Bruce Road, he told both of us, look, if there's ever a problem, do not walk, run. I will be there for you. Well, there was a problem. So I called, not taking, he's not taking your call. Okay. I sent letters, telegrams, uh, FedEx, anything I could. Uh, he won't, he, communication, I've never talked to him since then. He didn't want to take my call. A year later, I was told he doesn't want you to scream and yell at him. I wasn't going to scream and yell at him, but uh, there was an awful lot at this beginning that I didn't know. I was a little naive on what the heck was going on and not knowing at the time that, um, yeah, he and Kerpal knew something was going on with their uh, business, which was the Canadian lottery scam. And um, somehow I, they just kind of, well, let's go stick Guru Birsing in the middle. Let's go stick him in this and see what happens. But uh, Lorana, can you explain the part where like you're on the outside, he's arrested and you like go down and like act like you know what you're doing. Remember that part? Yeah. I want you to share. So first of all, I just want to say this is an extremely traumatic situation that's happened to us at the time. And when when the raid happened, I first want to mention that um, it's a shock because first of all, always the element of surprise. You, you're not seeing it coming. You have, it's one thing if you knew somebody was coming to arrest you or talk to you, but not a clue. 
So the traumatizing event that got that sparked all of this was that raid. That raid, and I will call it a raid because that's what it was. Our office was infiltrated. We were separated, as my husband said, and we were both drilled with tape recorders on. They're trying to get information and get um, proof of, of what had come down the pike. And, and honestly, we're as innocent as could be. We have no clue what they're talking about because we thought in our minds, we're doing a favor for our spiritual teacher. That was all we knew. Um, anyway, back to your question or your thoughts. Once my husband was arrested and taken to jail, I knew that, or I believe that the truth would have to prevail. That was what I was holding within myself. I said, somehow, the truth is going to come out eventually. I didn't know how, but I was holding on to that. So one of the things I did was um, dressed into what I call street clothes, which is just normal clothes. But I was in a like a, a professional suit. You know, I was out of Bona, which for me was unusual at the time. Right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm in a professional suit with an attache looking very much like a corporate American person. This is what I'm telling myself. I took my hair out of my turban and curled it and really go on down to the county courthouse, go inside and show my ID as if I belonged there. I, I had, by the way, I had no clue what I was doing. I just was determined to figure out what this case was about. And I was very focused. I was very one-pointed. And I had a tremendous amount of faith that there was going to be some revelations that would prove my husband was innocent, but that I wasn't going to be a bystander. I was going to be a participant in making sure that he was proved innocent. My children were young. I, you know, I had, our whole life was at stake here. So I go down to the courthouse, I go in, I go to the back of the uh, open, swing open the doors and walk right to the back where all the files are. Just acting as if I've done it a million times when honestly, I'm using my intuition to figure out where are these files? How am I going to do this? And I go in, I'm looking through all the cases of all the people who've been arrested and I finally find my husband's case. And it's way down on the bottom of, of this huge, almost like a bookcase that's from the ceiling to the floor of all these cases, case files. And I find his and I open it up and out pours, first of all, I see that it's his name and what he's being charged with, which is a mind blower, like fraud and embezzlement and all these things. And I'm like, what is going on, <laughs> you know? So when I went to jail and they're doing the intake, the guy asked me, okay, so what are you being arrested for? And I told him, I, I don't know. They never told us. I don't know. But that's when she's over doing all of this. It probably just took mi minutes, but so she's in figuring it out. I didn't even know what I was arrested. Nobody told me what I was arrested for. 
how I wish we'd had cell phones then. I could have taken pictures of all these documents and everything. Instead, I did Xerox a couple copies. So, of what did you see? So you opened up the folder and then what did you see? Outpour letters, letters, like 20 to 30 letters. And I'm looking at these, what is this? And I'm opening them and I'm finding that various people in the Dharma have written letters stating that my husband is the mind, the, the ringleader, the ringleader of this mastermind. These are people in the Dharma that we raise our children with, that we go and worship with, that we all trusted each other and pretty much grew up together, kind of, you know. Were they leadership in the in the circle around around YB? There were some that were inner circle, but a lot of them were just everyday mom and dad Sangat members who had written these. I will say most of them were from women from women's camp that I was told later that he had gone to women's camp and told these women to write these letters. So they fall out. I'm reading each one and I'm just like, honestly devastated. I, it's such a reality reframe. I'm looking at this going, this makes no sense to me. How can these people that I know, these aren't just acquaintances, the people I see every day, be writing letters that my husband's a mastermind behind some illegal activity and they're writing it and signing. The Canadian yeah. scam was the, was what the whole thing was being, what they were monitoring, what the FBI was monitoring. Yeah, the letters uh, said that I was the mastermind and that uh, Kirpal was the was duped. Was duped by my husband. And I'm thinking, oh, this is really interesting. You know, like just a, a one more layer of trauma. So we've already gone through the trauma of, of this whole thing. And now the, the very community that we have devoted our lives to be a part of is actually writing letters without, I knew they had absolutely no proof or no knowledge of what had really happened because we knew that we had nothing to do with it. So I'm reading these letters and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now he's got people that are vouching, uh, that saying that they know firsthand that he had committed these crimes. So now we've just raised the ante on his chances of being sent to federal prison, which is what was supposed to happen. Um, and down the road, we'll tell you, but it was supposed to be between like eight and 10 years of his life uh, that he was you know, sentenced, would have been sentenced to, he wasn't. But the point is, I'm shocked. I'm reading these letters and I've got no way to copy them, no cell phone, no. We didn't have that back then. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to take notes and get as much information as I can. And um, went back to the lawyer, to my husband's lawyer with all this information. And this is how my husband's lawyer figured out what it was going on. Because up until then, the police had not told us, the DA would not give us the details. Um, we didn't know what the heck was going on. And Yogi Bhajan wouldn't speak to us after having free reign for almost 20 years of any time they need to come to see me when we live in LA, no appointment necessary, let them in. I mean, that was the relationship that we believed we had with him all those years. Mm. That 
We could walk in any time and speak with him without an appointment. And now all of a sudden, persona non grata. So I took that info to the lawyer. The lawyer was grateful because he gave him something to go on so that he could start building a case that proved that my husband was innocent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was my day where I played detective and was in disguise. <laughs> and I said, there is no way I'm letting one with a suit, huh? <laughs> yeah, there is no way I'm letting my husband take the fall for whatever this thing wow. is. So it was a pure heart he had and what a great guy he was. And my children were it was my children's father. I couldn't let anything happen, you know. So then what happened? So then what, tell us about what the lawyer case, what what the lawyer was able to um pull together and, and so um yeah so so they because i had an attorney and the attorney called the police uh they let me out on my own recognizance um uh, he asked me and my wife to please i'd never met him before come to the law office it was two days after my arrest and uh as soon as i got there he just kept asking me he wanted to know exactly uh what my um if, if I knew who Guru Jot Singh was and what my business with Guru Jot Singh was. And I told him, well, um, I could identify him. I, I could point him out in a crowd, but I've never really talked to him. And he questioned me several times because he's never, my attorney's never met me. He doesn't know, if, if, you know, if I'm guilty, innocent or whatever it is. And then he spins his computer around and right there on on his computer is uh, Guru Jot's uh, arrest and the whole thing about the uh, the smuggling incident. And my attorney still doesn't know me from Adam or what my involvement is, but uh, he, you know, he got on top of everything. Um, later, the ADA told me he was actually the best uh, attorney in the county that I could have possibly have gotten. But uh, so for, but he told us, he says, look, when you go, he asked us, do you have any pets? And we said, or dogs, specifically dogs. And we said, yeah, we got two, two German shepherds. And he goes, well, here's what I'm going to tell you. The police are probably going to raid your house. And when the police come to raid your house looking for evidence, it's probably going to be either one or two o'clock in the morning. And they're probably going to shoot your dogs. So just be prepared You're for gonna that. You're going to break down the door. And uh, you're, um, they're going to tap your phones. You know, they're, 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 they're going to look for evidence. So we're scared to death. Well, my God, we never heard of anything like this. And and um, I mean, this is all within hours and a couple of days where our life was just going along normal as it had for 18 years. <laughs> and um, so we go home and Gersiri picks up the phone and she hears somebody on the other end telling, uh, yeah, so connect the red wire to the green wire and the yellow wire to the blue wire. She literally picked up the phone while the police were tapping our lines. That's how primitive it so, was back then. When they went to so <laughs> the FBI, I found out later that uh, this just happened after Rodney came. So the FBI all down to Los Angeles because I was the first one to be arrested and they wanted to, to uh, incarcerate me 
and they wanted to transfer everything down to Los Angeles and I would be the one in jail. Um, and the FBI told uh, Northern California, yeah, we're a little busy right now in the Rodney. middle of this Rodney King thing. So no, you keep him up there and we'll, we'll transfer, we'll eventually transfer our guy up there. Um, everything happened so fast. The uh, Yogi Bhajan left immediately for New Mexico, not to return to Los Angeles for years. Kirpal um, was arrested uh, at, a, uh, at a bank, taking uh, $600,000 plus out of the bank. And um, again, I, my attorney told me that I was arrested for grand theft uh, larceny for, uh, for the running the Canadian lottery and uh, which I had no, I, uh, nothing about. So let's speed this up five months. So five months go by and um, I'm told that they're, they're going to drop the charges, but I have to agree to sit down to a, with a meeting with the detectives and the ADA. Well, okay, I mean, so anyway, they figured out that, uh, that Kirpal and Yogi Bhajan knew what, what the hell was, they knew what they were doing. Right. And I just kind of got stuck in here because I had no money. I had no knowledge. Was I guilty of being really stupid? Yeah, I was. But I honestly, when I saw the Siri Singh Saab talking, I, 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 I just blindly trusted all of that. And I, I had no idea that this was going on, but she started out and made it very clear to me that this organization um, had, uh, had an organized leader in others and that amongst this was an organized crime element, an element of organized crime in, in businesses and, and um, that it honestly didn't look any different to them than the organized crime family in Chicago. And uh, she went on to explain to me and uh, apprised me of different businesses that they had just investigated for five months, what those individuals running those businesses uh, and co had concluded. Um, they also explained to me uh, that there were two uh, murders, unsolved murders of members of the uh, Gracho of Sikh Dharma Brotherhood. And um, she gave me a little bit of information on that. But after really laying out this organized crime element of the family, she asked me, is there, she said, and these were her words, our investigation takes everything to one handshake away from Yogi Bhajan. One handshake, all our invest, everything in our investigation takes us to one handshake away. Can you close that gap? Would you please cooperate and close that gap? And I told her, I, I can't. I, I really wasn't involved in that part we don't of know the organization, how to do that. that part of the family. That's not the part that I was involved in. You know, I was a, a I, I just, I'd never worked in any of that. I wasn't privy to that circle. 
One of the things when she was describing the, the family they investigated, she said it was interesting to them that certain members were, especially the, the people that were involved in the business end of this, they kind of saw the yoga as a sideshow of what was going on that um, there were certain people on Proust Road that seemed to wear very nice silk clothing and they drove very nice cars, uh, Mercedes and Lexus, and they all slept in brass beds. <laughs> and that there was another element on Proust Road that uh, wore whatever they could, could sew themselves and they slept on the floor and they drove whatever they could afford. And the, she just could not believe, they just couldn't believe it. And to be honest with you, uh, she was using, she was explaining and, and trying to draw uh, their, their version of what they would call that day a cult. But um, this is someone the real, the I FBI. just couldn't. This is, a, this is a lady from the FBI. No, this is the assistant district, district attorney. attorney. This is the, <laughs> the assistant is the attorney of California. Yeah. yeah, this is of the county. This is the assistant district attorney. That's who arrested me. But they were working and, with the FBI. They well, all yeah. were working together. Yeah, yeah no, Because it was uh, interesting. Been building and they had been building it up and they're now informing you of this, like, whoa. Well, they, they figured they out all different states were involved. Look, they figured they out that I was I was guilty of being a dummy, and uh, I didn't see it coming, and I should have known better. But honestly, I trusted my teacher of eighteen years, and um, I think her description is so um, poignant because it, it's such my lived experience. There was definitely this haves and have nots and the yoga sure. yoga peasantry, and then kind of like the higher and, and you know, and, and just for, for an outsider, like a DA or the FBI to study a group, let's say a high demand group or a cult or a mo spiritual mafia or a, a Chicago mafia, whatever, they're looking from the outside in and identifying pockets and that's right. kind of what you're describing, which is such an interesting thing to witness well, from a different- Yeah, they, they went in with hand carts and on Proust Road, they went into all businesses and took out file cabinets. Again, they spent five months on this. Longer than that. And, and there's other cases that trickle down from it. What we haven't but, uh, mentioned in this talk is that our uh -huh. lives were in upheaval for all of those months while we couldn't leave the dis we we would we would have moved probably because our life was over there well we didn't know and we were ostracized not only by our immediate community but by all of Sikh Dharma too so we really had no community we had no friends anymore we had our families didn't know what in the world had happened um, the point I'm making is we were bound by law to stay there because we had to keep going to court. <laughs> we, 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 we were, were bound by our incomes gone now. Um, in, yeah, we in had to go in front of a judge. It was devastating. It changed everything in front of so the judge and I was many summoned times. back. I was summoned back to court after this meeting with the assistant district attorney where they're explaining to me 
that it's like Mickey Mouse and you know if you're wearing Mickey Mouse ears you're part of the Mickey Mouse Club and and yes they were using the word cult and cult leader and cult followers but uh, this was all just I mean our bubble was burst, burst. just right now and like I said I, I can't get anybody to talk to me out of Los Angeles I only got one call and that was from Ram Das Singh the attorney and in the early stages, all he wanted to know from me is, what does the FBI know? Wow. Well, shit, I didn't know what the FBI knew. But the point is, we ended up going to, after this meeting with the ADA and the detectives, they, I got someone back to appear in court and she stood up and, and the judge called my case and she said to the judge, your honor, I wish to dismiss all charges against Guru Bir Singh in the interest of justice. And he was floored. He, 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 he was floored. But when the gavel came down, all charges were dismissed against me in the interest of justice. Unfortunately, uh, Kirpal uh, was sentenced to San Quentin uh, State Prison. Um, but our life was, everything's gone, everything's shattered, everything's burst. Uh, our family, we, we hugged each other. We put what little we had in a U-Haul trailer and drove away. My attorney uh, said, I've, I've never had a client where, let alone a family, that doesn't know who they are, where they're going, what they're going to do, when, who they're going to be, and what they're going to do when they get there. And he just he was never right. seen anything like that. <laughs> Every and, point. <laughs> and uh, we just left and had, we, we, we just, it was 18 years was over like that. And we just, I just, we just said, you know what? This is graduation. Well, you know, we graduated from elementary school, from middle school, from high school, from university. Why wouldn't we graduate from this? So we weren't just going to go, you know, de totally destroyed. We just didn't have a clue who, well, what, when, where, or why we made, the rest of our world was going to go. We, there's a few things we did very with quite a bit of intention. One was that we weren't going to let this make our lives into being victims. We decided we are not victims. We are going to do our inner work, get clear within ourselves of who we are birthing now. Who, what, is, what is our life about now? Who are we? We took our children, we all went to counseling. We did a lot of proactive things for our inner growth. And we knew deep inside in the midst of the devastation, in the midst of being let down by the family, the, the Sangat, our spiritual teacher, uh, everything, we knew that our relationship with creator could not be impacted by other people. Yeah. And that was where we, that was our North Star. We kept that as our intention in everything as we moved forward. We also knew that at least from my perspective, well, when everything gets taken away, there must be something really magnificent that's gonna take its place. And that was the way that I chose to look at it. 
Not to say that we weren't devastated, we weren't grieving, we weren't completely impacted. We weren't trying to figure out where we belonged, what we were going to do. I mean, we, we went through the five stages of grief. Um, we always knew where to, to bow our heads. Yeah. And honestly, uh, spirit, source energy, uh, whatever you want to call that one creator was always there as long as we listened to that um, silent voice. And we just got real humble, real fast, <laughs> and listened as we were guided uh, and having no idea where we're going and what we're going to do. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, when we look back to uh, just years, a few years ago, when we look back on all of this, we'd see it, you know, it, what a divine, it was totally divine. There's no right, there's no wrong. Every, nobody's right, nobody's wrong. And yes, that's a part of a song from the 60s. But <laughs> the, my point is, everybody's path is different, but there's only one creator. And that same creator that breathes in me, breathes in all of my brothers and my sisters and everyone else. And my path, our path, is not everyone else's path. Did we feel devastated? Well, yeah. Was everything, I had no idea, I, I never planned on not being an Amrit Dari Sikh for the rest of my life. Uh, that's another story that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, the carpet ripped out from underneath you, your next choice is to deal with what is, every, what's happening now. And that sounds like a Everything. And as we went through our life, we've had a wonderful life. It's just been fantastic. It really has and so magical in such a divine way. Um, I, we went on to- Pause, uh, pause before we do that. I'm gonna go ahead and ask that we take a kind of breather to titrate the story because it's quite an intense one. And I'm sure listeners are still kind of like wide eyed and jaw open. And so let's kind of play your tune and kind of like, um, uh, this is the yes. current that, that Guru Beer Singh and Guru Sirikar, Sirikar have, um, uh, said kind of represents their story. So as listeners, let's go ahead and uh, listen to this and let this sound current vibrate through you and let their story really land because each of us that were around at that time um, know the network of, of things happening in different states and, and kind of um, these rumors that were going around and, and each of us have a memory of that in our own uh, forgotten and unforgotten ways. So let this sound vibrate in. Here we go. Start again. There it goes.
Oh, what a beautiful choice. Thank you. Thank you. Share with us why, uh, why this music, why you share this music with us. Uh, because there's no words that can truly express our journey as on earth. And uh, a little backstory is we were actually in the recording studio of Russ Freeman and the Rippingtons at Russ Freeman's place when he was mastering the, the dat, uh, the master, to send off uh, a production. I love it. So that, 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 that is, uh, that's who this is. It covers all the emotions and all the moods and it just really, <laughs> it, it just really represents the flow that we've had through our whole experience. And that song is called Black Diamond. Yeah. It's on now, Black Diamond, beautiful. So share it with us. Uh, so what now? Like, obviously, that was 30 years ago. We thank you for, you know, giving us a snapshot in time um, for a lot of us that um, maybe have, are still in the community that are listening. Um, but tell us about, you know, where you're at now and kind of like how, how um, what you want listeners to know in terms of um, what, what's, what's, what's in the world. After. I would like to share one thing. And that is my career has been in hospice and working with people who are dying. And I've met quite a few people who've died and come back from death. And just when you listen to people who've died and they've come back, they no longer are afraid of death because they understand the universe in a much, a much more expansive and universal way. And that's how I feel about what we went through. When you have everything taken and you're afraid and you don't know what's going to happen, once you've had that happen and you realize that what comes next is even more amazing, you no longer fear loss. You no longer fear letting go. You no longer fear change. Um, and that's what I would say would be my message to people is, when you're holding on for dear life, what you're doing is you're creating resistance between what is being, what you're being birthed into, what's coming next, and what the possibilities are. And so there's no need to be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's, it's all perfect. We are always taken care of. The universe is taking care of us, whether we understand it or know it or not. <laughs> That's my message. Such truth. Such truth. And my, my whole thing about for where we are today and this today's date and the year and, and the roaring 20s. Yes. That, um, you know, I, I was really, as a guy, I was very comfortable in my little finite world my little finite world, but the universe wasn't, was, was just too big. And I mean, I, I went, we went from a finite world to an infinite world and it's just been phenomenal. What, what, how amazing it is. The hardest part in the very beginning for me was once the, the uniform was gone, humans started coming closer to me. And I wasn't used to that. I went, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You know, I mean, this is new. And it's just been wonderful. It's been fantastic. You know, 
when, when we went to Colorado, the Native American community found us. We didn't find them. The grandmothers, the grandfathers. I would come home from my little humble job in, in a <laughs> hardware store and my wife's got grandmothers in the, in the house and they're doing circles. They're doing pipe ceremony. They're doing drum ceremony. And I'm like, wow, okay, what's going on? They recognized us before we recognized, before I did. Recognized yourselves. And that's just really a real microcosm of how it's just been ever since then. Yeah. We're retired now. We've had our careers. Um, we feel very comfortable one-on-one -on -one with people and, and helping people. And we're just overjoyed to the fact that today there is so much support with exactly what you're doing and the intentions because they've, they've got to be, I mean, the intentions really make a difference. And, uh, when people, you can go through the five stages of grief, there's a phenomenal world waiting. It's absolutely amazing. And all pain is real. And what you're feeling, what everybody's feeling at the times they're feeling it are absolutely real, but it's all, it's all an, an opportunity to move through. And we totally understand and, and get that because as you can see, we've gone through from a very devastating uh, traumatic event to an amazing world that was waiting for us and we didn't know it. So, yeah. <laughs> so courageous, so powerful. And thank you for the, the courage and the, um, the time that you've taken to, to share your story and to be available in this way. And um, do you support people like in healing, like do you have clients that you see in your healing work in your retirement or is that something that you retired from? Well, we had a very successful um, intuitive gestalt holistic psychotherapy practice. Mm. We, we took everything of who we are and what we were and applied it. And um, we've, we've certainly had thousands of, of clients that we've uh, assisted. We really like now to work with the, because while being retired, we're certainly not looking for uh, Time for clients. Yeah. However, we love working with people and especially the people. That, and here's what we understand and why we, we get uh, pulled in and, and totally want to tell our story. It's a lot easier for somebody who's going through this today, somebody who today is going through these five stages of grief and, and to talk to somebody who's already been through it. If you've lived through 3HO, if you were there, yeah. As we've all, we've said before, look, we don't have any access to grind. We don't have, ha we don't need to call anybody out. We don't have any feelings, ill feelings towards anybody. Mm -hmm. We've had a beautiful opportunity uh, to work through a lot of that. And we're certainly here to be part of the solution yes. and certainly not part of the problem because we're just not going to get into, you know, well, you know, and, and all that other and, and the other stuff. So we're, we're here for those that, uh, and we totally trust creator. We, we know that those who creator guides to talk to us, it'll happen. Yeah. How creator puts us together. It's, it's just, it's, we smile and we trust the process because we understand that I listen, 
if creator, if all we had to do is pay attention and listen and go through our heart as opposed to this thing, because if you leave it up to this, it's going to screw it up every time. But if you just listen to here, <laughs> okay. And then of course, here's where we come in. We help this get on board with this. Mm. And then we all get to experience that love. That's It's just there anyway. So it's, it's there for the taking. We just have to let it in. Yeah. Well, gosh, thank you so much. This has just been wonderful to hear. And um, I want to just share that um, the, um, the telling of, of this story is so important because um, I, I think that, that what a lot of people may not understand within the, the, the time period of 3HO is that there was just a lot of things happening. You kind of heard things through the grapevine, but never really heard the real thing of what took place. You just yeah. heard some version of a story. And, and what we're starting to realize now is that every person telling their story is like a puzzle piece of a large tapestry that when we put it together supports all of us to feel, to remember, and to heal. As a Sangat, we now get to go through this together. Right. Everyone. Wonderful. Yeah, Wonderful. so beautiful. Gosh, on that note, um, we got another song to take us out. So I'm just gonna go ahead and play that because it's obviously very appropriate. So here we go. Like a very uh, slow intro. for being here and um, this is uncomfortable conversations the untold stories of 3ho kundalini yoga community i'm your host guru nishan you can follow me elsewhere at gurunishan.com i'm a soul provocateur alchemist and breath trainer um, helping you turn the pains of your life into the gold let's um we'll get talking soon thanks again for tuning in and uh, thank you again to my guests Guru Singh. thank you, you.